okay? All right, same, you're a miracle worker, thank you. I am so excited to be with you this morning. Make sure, are we sure we're okay with the mic? I think it's in my ear. These are the hazards of doing this as a woman. You've got, I've got this in my earring. All right, here we go. All right, we're good, we're good. Platt Park, thank you. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to be with you. We find ourselves in the season of Eastertide, which is this joyful feasting time in between when we celebrate Jesus's resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And during this time, the lectionary takes us through this journey exploring what it means to be a people who are defined by the presence and the action of the risen Christ, what it means to be Christians. And today we're focusing on how as Christians, we're invited to make our home in God. And it's so fun and it's so fitting for me to preach this on Mother's Day because Jesus' invitation in John chapter 15 and the image of the vine and the branches it's an incredible picture of how God mothers us. And we know that from Genesis that God's not male or female, and we know that God creates both male and female in God's image. But the references to God as a father, to God's strength, to God's provision, to God's protection of us, those are pretty overt in scripture. And we have to look a little bit harder to see how God mothers us, how God nurtures us, how God nourishes us, how God loves us and makes us feel safe and accepted and like we belong. And so hold that as we begin to go through more of John chapter 15, because that's the other half of who God is. And I want us to experience that today. And there's no better day to talk about that than Mother's Day, I think. So we're continuing where Charlie left us off last week. And if you haven't listened to his sermon on abiding in Christ, that early part of John chapter 15, do. He gives a really practical and beautiful example of what it means to abide and that Jesus' central command here in John chapter 15 is not to go out and bear fruit, to go do all these great things for the kingdom. What Jesus commands us in John chapter 15 is to abide, is to remain, is to stay connected to God, and that the fruit will naturally come from this connection that we cannot help but bear fruit when we're connected to and abiding to God in this way. So come with me now to John chapter 15. We're starting in verses 9 and 10, and Jesus summarizes this teaching to his disciples. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, different translations will use remain and abide kind of interchangeably. But honestly, I think Eugene Peterson nails the essence of the original Greek here in the message paraphrase, where he translates this as make yourselves at home in my love. And if you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. And now when we read this on the surface, I think to me at least, it can sound a little bit prescriptive. Like if you just do all these things, then you'll remain in my love. And, and this relationship with God can become this kind of if-then equation. 
But that's not at all what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing is giving us this beautiful new picture of how we're being invited to live with God as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. And essentially, all of scripture is telling us the story of who God is and who we are and the relationship between God and us. And ultimately, the Cliff Notes version of this is that we're created for this intimate relationship with a God who is inherently relational. We're created for this intimate relationship with a God who is inherently relational. And when I say that God's inherently relational, what I mean is that at the core, God is in perpetual relationship. That the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that the Trinity of God is in this continual communion with each other. You might have heard this described as the divine dance, which is a really beautiful picture of this. And that this God of relationship created us to be in relationship with God. And we see that from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, who walk with God in the Garden of Eden. And scripture says as they walk with God that they are naked and unashamed, which metaphorically is telling us that they have nothing to prove. They have nothing to earn, and they have nothing to hide. They're completely and totally open and connected to God. And that's how each of us are made to live. And Charlie modeled this last week with a real knife, like an actual knife up here, which is a little hard to follow. Um, But he had an actual knife stripping off the bark of a branch and showing that to graft the branch back into the vine, we need to take off that protective bark. We need to be open and vulnerable to God to enter into this deep, authentic communion that we're created for. But you know how this goes, right? Sin enters the picture and shatters this relational connection that we have with God. And if you think about this in terms of vines and the vine and the branch, the branch gets ripped off from the vine. And so no longer are we receiving this continual flow of life from the vine and from the source. We're on our own and we're cut off. And because of this separation, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see how this relationship between God and humans, this thing that's meant to be intimate and vulnerable in this continual connection, becomes more and more distant as God's presence becomes more and more structured and mediated with God's people. So first we see people begin to connect with God through kind of like patriarch leaders, people like Abraham and Moses. Um, Then we see through leaders like the judges and then later the kings that rule over Israel and the prophets that are sent to kind of keep the kings in line. And then through religious ritual, we see people connecting with God through priests, through sacrifices, through festivals, through different holy places like the tabernacle and then later the temple. No longer do we see a people who are walking with God in the intimacy of the garden we see people experiencing God in very, very structured ways. And by the time Jesus comes on the scene, what we have is this very, very systematized, commoditized, and honestly, even monetized way that people are experiencing and connecting with God. And we see this modeled through the leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, you know that these guys love them some laws. They stack laws on laws on laws. They have tons of rules and regulations and all these ideas of what it means to be a people of God, how it means that you live. 
And when we talk about the Pharisees, I think we have the temptation to really throw them under the bus here because they, they do like utterly miss the point with this. But it's important to know that the legalism that they have comes from this deep desire to get back to this relational status with God, this connection with God that we're meant for. They're longing for the same intimacy that we're longing for. They just think that they have to do everything right to get there. And I think when we read John 15, verses 9 and 10, that can be our temptation too. I just have to keep all these commands and then I'll remain in Jesus' love. I just have to do everything right to earn that status with God. But what Jesus is doing in John chapter 15 is turning all of this kind of if-then religious equation on its head. He's turning it upside down and showing us that what he's going to accomplish through his death and resurrection is he's going to take this branch and reconnect it back in the vine. That grafting that Charlie talked about, that is what Jesus does. He reconnects us back to the source. He reconnects us back to the life in God that we're created for. And Jesus explained this in verses 9 and 10 in the context of his own relationship with the Father when he says, I've loved you the way the Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. It's not just a nice way that he's using to illustrate this point. He's saying this because what Jesus is doing in grafting us back in is inviting us into the same love that flows between the father and the son and the spirit. He's inviting us into this same communion that characterizes the Trinity. He's saying, come join the dance. We're no longer just walking with God in the garden. Sometimes I think it's tempting for us to think if we could just get back to what we lost. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm not taking you back there. I'm bringing you forward into something even greater, something even more beautiful, something that is so intimate and relational and life-giving that you cannot help but be caught up in it. Because when we make our home in this kind of love, we can't help but spread love. We talk about that a lot at Platt Park Church, this idea of spreading love. And that happens when we're making our home in the God who is love. It's the life of God flowing into and out of you. You cannot help but do this because it's who you are. It's no longer just something that you do. It's who you are. And what Jesus is teaching us here in John chapter 15 is that to be a people defined by the presence and the action of the risen Christ means we are a people who are literally making our home in God, in that triune love of God. And it's beautiful when we talk about this. But if you're like me, the metaphor, you're a lot more comfortable with this as a metaphor than you are with the reality of what it looks like to make our home in God. And a lot of days I think, if I'm really honest with you, I don't know that I want to make my home in God. I think it seems easier for me to just stop by for a visit on a Sunday for an hour, hour and a half, um, than it is to truly do the work of making my actual home in God. And I don't know about you, but the level of vulnerability that this is talking about 
scares me. Vulnerability in general just kind of scares me. But the idea of this kind of vulnerability, this kind of being in this loving communion with God all the time, it makes me afraid of what would happen if I let God get that close to me. I'm afraid of what God might call me to release, to let go of. I'm afraid of what God might ask me to step into, something unknown. And, and this happens because at deep down, I'm doubting that God's good. And now I know we all know this, right? Like we know that God's good. But often our knowledge of what God is like up here and our experience of God in our actual lives can be very different. And one of the enemy's greatest weapons is these little tiny doubts of God's goodness. He just shoots these little tiny arrows of, is God really good? Do you really want to make your home there? And, and Satan's very, very cunning. Make no mistake that the enemy is very cunning, but he's not super creative. Like this has been Satan's game from day one. If I can just cause you to doubt God's goodness, then you will never want to make your home there. No matter how beautiful the metaphor, no matter how wonderful the invitation, if we doubt even a little bit that God's good, we're not going to feel safe enough to make our home there. Because to live in this kind of vine branch communion that Jesus is talking about, to experience the level of intimacy that is at the heart of the divine dance, the heart of the Trinity itself, we have to feel a level of safety with God. Because home, to make your home in something, it's a, it's a safe place. Home is a place that you feel safe. And if your home was this or your home is this, you know this. And if your home wasn't this or it isn't this, you know this even more. For us to feel accepted and loved and at home, we have to feel safe. And I think so many of us are walking around with this question, whether we articulate it or not, of whether God's safe enough to truly make our home there. And so we keep God at this distance because we don't know. And instead of living these abundant, fruitful lives at home in the triune love of God, we live in this exhausting existential tension of being created for this intimate communion and yet pushing the very thing that will satisfy our souls away because what we know about God in our heads doesn't match how we experience God in our hearts. And we know God's good, but we might experience God as, as harsh. And we know that God's near to us and wanting to be in communion with us, but God feels really distant. And we know that God is kind and for us, but we might be experiencing God as, as mean or even cruel. And along the way, it's so easy for us to pick up these destructive messages that distort our view of God. Things like, God loves me in spite of who I am. Or God loves me, but God doesn't actually like me. Anybody hear that one? Or God doesn't care about me personally. Like, this is just some kind of, like, big picture. It's almost like a stimulus check that Jesus, like, deposited in my bank account. But it's not really about me. Like, it's, I'm just kind of like this ambiguous thing to God. It's not a personal relationship that God wants to have with me. Even though I, I hear that, and I believe that, I think, but I don't experience it, 
I don't experience God like that. And I think we forget what Jesus goes on to say in verse 11. So all this talk about abiding and vines and branches that he's done in John chapter 15 culminates in this next verse, verse 11. He says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now be honest with yourself for a minute. I'm not going to do a show of hands because this is a safe place. But when you hear about life with God, is the first word that comes to your mind joy? This is about joy. I have told these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. It's not just about like a little joy. It's so that your joy may be complete. I think about Jesus' first miracle turning water into wine and the fact that Jesus turns water into good wine. He just like doesn't turn it into wine. He turns it into good wine. I'm a God of joy. Is this how you experience God? That if God asked you to release something, to let go of something, or to step into something and take it up that was unknown and felt scary to you, you would think, you know what? Maybe this is for my joy. Maybe this is for me to receive more of who God is, even though I can't see that right now. Because honestly, when I hear this verse, what I hear Jesus say is, I've told you these things so that you don't mess it up. I've told you these things so that you can work really hard to earn this. I mean, like, I know you can never earn it, but, like, you can start, like, pulling your weight a little bit here. And how we hear verses like this is actually a great indicator. It's a great invitation for us to pay attention to how we're actually experiencing God. If you hear a harsh voice in this, if it feels like Jesus is annoyed with you, pay attention to that. Because what this is, is a kind, inviting invitation and reminder of who God is and what God is calling us into. Because what's true is that God is inviting us to make our home in a God who is joyful and loving and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle and good and all of those fruits of the spirit that Paul talks about. In Galatians, it's not a coincidence that Paul uses that metaphor here. He's picking up this theme that Jesus is laying down here, saying that this is who God is, that the fruit is what flows out of who God is. And that's the life that we're being invited into, this life that is good, this God that is kind, this home that is safe. And this is how we fight those little darts of doubt that the enemy likes to st- just to shoot at us all day long. This is how we fight this kind of low-grade existential angst that maybe God's not actually good. This is how we learn to abide in the vine. We experience God as God actually is. And that's what I want you to take into your conversation with God this week. I want you to honestly ask, God, how am I experiencing you right now? You know what's up here. You know the right, you could tell me the right answers all day long. But how am I actually experiencing God right now in my heart?
because the authentic connection, the relational connection, that vine branch connection, it is here. So I want you to ask God, how am I honestly experiencing you right now? And then I want you to ask, do I feel safe with you, God? Do I feel safe with you? I have the great honor of walking with women in spiritual direction where we wrestle with all of these conversations, all of these questions. And one of the ways that I love to ask this question to my directees is, do you want to be alone in a car with that guy? kind of disarming, right? <laughs> because if you don't want a road trip with that God, one, it's not God. <laughs> Two, you are definitely not going to make your home in that God. If you don't want to be alone in a car with God, you will not make your home in God. You'll never say yes to this invitation because you aren't experiencing God as a safe place, as a safe presence. And when I say safety, I don't mean that God is going to do all the things that you would do if you were God, or God's going to do all the things that you want God to do, or that you'll never have suffering. Jesus goes on in the very next chapter, John 16, to say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. One of the greatest paradoxes in the Christian life is that joy and suffering are not mutually exclusive. If I was designing this, they would be mutually exclusive. But that's not how it is with God. And so when I say safety, I mean that we're experientially trusting God's goodness. And we're personally receiving God's love in a way that allows us to step into the same openness, that same vulnerability that is at the heart of the Trinity itself. That characterized how Adam and Eve walked with God in the beginning, in the garden that same naked and unashamed way of relating to God that we're made for. And it's the kind of safety that if you want a real visual of this, it's the kind of safety that is meant to exist between a baby and a mom. Our, mo our moms are our first home, right? And while I think a lot of us, if you're like me, you don't have like vines and fig trees growing in your backyard, um, one of the closest things that I have in my life to this metaphor that Jesus is giving us of the vine and the branches is pregnancy. Think about it. God is the source of life through which all of life is flowing. That's the mom. Jesus is the vine, the thing that connects the source to the recipient, the cord. And we are the, the baby that designed to receive all that we need and all that we have from God. It's that kind of an intimacy that Jesus is talking about here. That is how God mothers us. God says in Isaiah, this beautiful, beautiful verse, that even if a mother forgets the baby that, is that she is currently nursing or the son that she has born from her womb, even if a mother could forget that, as if she could, I will never forget you. It's a powerful picture of God saying, this is how I fight for you as a mom. This is how I love you as a mom. And the next verse in that passage of Isaiah is, I have you engraved on the palms of my hands. Who else has us engraved on the palms of his hands? Think about that. 
those are the hands that are saying, come make your home in me. This is the life that you're designed for. It's good. It's joyful. And most of all, it's a safe place to be. And that's my prayer for you this week. Enter into that conversation. Enter into that dialogue with God. Because this is the life that you're created for, and it's available to us. Scott Park, pray with me. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you that you loved us into existence and that you have invited us into a life of joy and of communion and deep, deep intimacy with you. God, we ask that you would remind us of who you are. Remind us of how you love us, of how you care for us, of how you fight for us, of how you nurture us, of how you want your life to flow into us all the time. Teach us how to make our home in you. Show us that you are safe. Show us that you are good. We pray all of this, Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.